You're listening to episode 34 of the We Got the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll talk to Bob Becker about ultra running in Florida. Welcome to the We Got the Runs podcast. I'm your host, Letty Lundquist, and I invite you to join me as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make every run a good run. Hey runners, welcome to episode 34. So we're talking about ultra running in Florida today, huh? We will be. I did an awesome interview. But how are you doing, Ryan? How are your legs holding up with all your running that you've been doing? <laughs> my, my what, four-mile runs now have <laughs> expanded from the three-mile to the four-mile. <laughs> it's still something, though. It's true. We walked, we ran on the beach the other day, which was, that, that I enjoy. And, and I like just randomly running in odd directions, which I, I've talked to you about and you said was kind of fun. Well, now you have to explain it a little bit better because people are <laughs> probably picturing you running in circles. <laughs> no, but just like, you know, picking trails like as they come or as you see just or paths, you know, you go between buildings if you want to or go like yesterday we ran down the beach and then we ran through a bunch of trails in a park and then and ended up back in the car somehow. Yeah, it's like every run is an adventure run with Ryan. You don't know if you're trespassing. <laughs> You don't know what's going on. I'm trying not to trespass, but... <laughs> well, I mean, borderline trespassing. Jumping the fence the other day we did. Yeah, that's true. We jumped some fence. We ran down some boardwalks. It's like... Um, and then we found some small hills in Florida. There are small hills. I know. We're going to take our children to the mountains <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I think... What's the... The highest elevation of Miami, I think, is like 25 feet besides bridges. So <laughs> there's not a lot of hills. <laughs> it's pretty sad for those of you guys. And we've talked about that in previous podcasts before. You go to Florida and you're like, why are all these people, why are all these runners running up and down the bridges? And then you're like, oh, that's right. They don't have hills. So I was thinking about that with the ultra marathoners. It's like, would you prefer to have just flat so you don't have to run up hills? I mean, maybe it's... You know, Florida is not typically ideal for running with the humidity and and heat, but maybe the lack of hills is beneficial when you're doing a lot of miles. Or it could just get boring. <laughs> or that. But they call the heat, they call the poor man's hill training. Have you heard of that? Uh, yeah, you told me. <laughs> I can understand why. It does make it more difficult. I mean, once it gets humid here, it really gets humid and it's hard to run to the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> But right now we're enjoying beautiful weather. Well, now it's kind of borderline too cold for for me at least. Yeah, it's <laughs> good for running. Weather in the forties, it's hard to get out of the door. So you really got to show your grit. <laughs> this is really sad because we have a people, a bunch of people in the north and Europe listening to us complaining about this. Yeah, I mean, I lived in Colorado for a little while, so in Colorado Springs area, it gets pretty cold there, and it even run from you know run up the side of Pikes Peak so. That that's um, elevation and cold. Yikes! I'm glad that um, our winter in Florida is almost over. Oh, we got a few more months. You we, think? Yeah. Ugh, bursting my bubble again. There you are. <laughs> well, happy anniversary. Aw, thanks. Happy anniversary to you, sweetie. Thank you as well. And so today is actually fun because I have an off, and we're gonna go do a run slash bike where I bike and you run. Yes, and we're going to go for a long time. We're going to go at least 10 miles of running. 
Yeah. No, well, if you do 10 miles of running, I'll probably do 20 miles of biking. That sounds fun. Where are we going to go? To a mountain bike park in Florida. Yes, they have mountain bike parks in Florida. Caloosahatchee? Yeah. There's actually surprisingly some decent mountain biking places here, but you have to bike up the hills and to ride down small hills multiple times. But it's it's still fun. That does sound like fun. Well, it sounds fun as a trail run for me because I don't, I mean, I, I probably could mountain bike, but I don't know. I don't really have a desire for it. <laughs> we I, I got you out there a few times, but then uh, you'd get scared and yell at me afterwards. <laughs> well, that was back in California. And let me uh, clarify, you didn't take me to a little trail biking. You took me to the highest mountain, Mount Wilson, where you go downhill. It's and the highest mountain. All the people that passed me are like serious <laughs> bikers with helmet and gear. They look like robots. And here I am on a little mountain bike wearing flip-flops. And barely a helmet. <laughs> I flew over the handlebar twice before I even said anything. It didn't seem that steep the first time I went down it. Well, because you know how to mountain bike. I mean, I know how to bike, but I mean, it's not like, you know, I can't go <laughs> on anything. I just can't go gravel mountains. Yeah, it's also when we, you know, earlier when we met and you were more apprehensive of telling me about your biking skills. Oh yeah, I can do it. <laughs> well, I was trying to, I was trying to um, be positive. Impress? <laughs> no, I was definitely not trying to impress. <laughs> but I also didn't know you were as good at mountain biking as you were, because I would oh, ask you, "Oh, Ryan, do you know how to snowboard?" And you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I make it down the hill." And then you took me snowboarding, and you're like jumping on hurdles and and doing crazy stuff. I'm like, "Well, that's not my version of making it down the hill." When I say I make it down the hill, it means I make it down the hill without falling and not, you know, jumping stuff. You're too kind. I'm not that great. <laughs> not kind. I'm just honest. <laughs> so you want to get back to the topic of running? Yes. Yes. Let's do that. So like I said earlier, we're going to have Bob Becker on and I'm going to just play my interview right now. All right. So I'm here with Bob Becker. Bob, thank you so much for joining our show. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Lady. So, Bob, for those of you, the listeners that don't know you, can you tell us where you're from and what you do? Well, I live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I've been here for about 20 years. Uh, before that, I lived out in the Midwest. I spent most of my life in the Mid-Atlantic area, Washington, Washington D.C. area. Um, so, I've been traveling around a little bit. So, for the last um, dozen years or so, actually 13 years, um, I've been a full-time race director. And um, I actually produced the Keys 100, which is a... 100 mile ultra marathon in the Florida Keys. Pretty spectacular location. We do that every year, except for this year of COVID 19, of course. And then I put a race on in the Everglades, a trail race, a 50 mile trail race in the Everglades. And both of them have shorter distance options as well. But that's what I do. And um, I love the sport. And um, I love being able to, you know, I love to have a job where my work is my hobby, basically. So uh, that and continuing to run at my age is. Basically, what keeps what keeps me busy. Yeah, and you have a quite a running career. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe start by telling us how you got into running, and then what you do now, including all the crazy distances that you do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I ran the mile in high school. Um, as an adult, I played sports, went to the gym, stayed in shape, ran a little bit to stay in shape, but that was it. I wasn't a real runner. I wasn't doing any racing or anything. 
And um, in 2002, I got a call from a, a good friend of mine in Minneapolis, and he said, hey, we're going to run a grandma's marathon. Why don't you come up and join us? So it sounded like a good excuse for a party. So I said, okay. And uh, I went out and literally bought a pair of running shoes and asked the guy in the running shoe store, what do I do now? And he said, call this John Hall. He's a, he'll train you for this marathon. And so I joined this marathon training group. And that was my first marathon in 2002. Um, we had a great time. That was going to be it. But I wound up qualifying for Boston. So I figured, well, I got to do that. And one thing led to another. And um, one day, I guess it was 2004, someone said to me, did you ever hear of the Marathon de Sable? It's an ultra marathon. And I said, what's an ultra marathon? I had no idea. So I went home and checked it out. And in 2005, the next year, this friend who had mentioned it to me and I both had birthdays ending in zeros and we decided we're going to run this thing. Well, Marathon de Saab is a race in Morocco in the Sahara Desert that is a stage race. And a stage race is one where you run a certain number of miles every day over a period of six days. Altogether, it's about 150, 160 miles. And you carry all your food and gear on your back in a pack the whole time. So it's a real adventure. And I absolutely fell in love with the whole idea of the camaraderie, the, the, um, the can-do spirit, the, 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 the grittiness of the whole thing. And um, I said, you know, I, I think I found my sport. So I came home and started thinking about um, the, the lack of ultramarathons. Very few people even heard of them at that point. And there weren't any in South Florida. So that's when I decided to see if having a race in the Keys would be viable. And that's, that became the Keys 100. So I wound up doing that full time. I wound up uh, then beginning to run a lot more and, um, you know, learning a little bit about what I was getting into. I just love the sport and I still really go, like the people that are involved and, again, the camaraderie of the whole thing. Yeah, but you're also being really modest right now because um, can you tell us a little bit about the races that you have completed? Because there's quite some distances in there and then um, include this last weekend's race that you ended up winning. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a little unusual, but unexpected. Yeah, I've uh, been very fortunate to be able to race really all over the world. I ran a, a race in China uh, three years ago that in southwest China where literally in World War II, my dad had fought. Um, alongside the Chinese, so it was a very, very emotional experience. One of the one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. And if I hadn't been doing ultra marathons, I never would have wound up going to China. Certainly not in that area of China, which is fairly remote. Um, I run Badwater One Thirty Five, which is a which is a one hundred and thirty five mile race in Death Valley in California every July. I've run that three times. I hope to run it again next year if there is a Badwater next year given COVID. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a very, very difficult race, but I love the desert. And I love that, the, everything about the culture of that particular race. I've done a 135-miler in Brazil, and the mountains there. Uh, so I've run a, a number, and I mentioned the Marathon de Saab, which was at stage race in Morocco, and then a similar stage race in the southwest United States. So, yeah, quite a few. Now, Maybe your all your listeners may not know what a fixed time race is, so I can take take a second. You know, most races are fixed distance, right? Like a marathon or a fifty miler or a five k. And you, the goal is how fast can you run that distance? Well, a fixed time race is kind of just the opposite. You have X number of hours to see how far you can run. And usually, a fixed time race is a is a, a relatively long period of time, like 
12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours or longer, uh, typically held on a closed track or a small loop. And you run round and round and round and see how far you can go during that fixed period of time. Um, so actually this weekend, kind of on a lark here in Fort Lauderdale, there was a fixed time race called Icarus Ultra Fest. And I wound up uh, running the 24-hour race, signing up on Wednesday for the race that was on Saturday. And um, I wound up winning it. So uh, I ran 97 and a half miles, um, which tells you how what a poor field of competitors it was. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I'm not expected at my age to, do, uh, to, to to win races, but I got lucky and, and ran this one. Um, and I'll tell you about one more, and then I'll, I'll let you ask the questions. So a year ago, I ran a race, also a fixed-time race uh, in Tennessee uh, called A Race for the Ages. And this is one where the, it's a fixed-time race again, but the number of hours that you have to run to see how far you can go is equal to your age. And actually, I wound up uh, running that race, and because of my age, I had lots of hours to be out there. And I, I won that one as well. It's the first race I ever ran. I ran 230 miles and broke the record and, and uh, won the race. So it was pretty cool. So that's my claim to fame, and that's my resume. And, you know, I hope that helps. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So how do you train for all these? Um, what does your daily, I mean, your weekly mileage look like? And do you run the same course? Do you never um, get bored of, of running the same routes if you do? Yeah, well, one of the prerequisites to doing this stuff is that you're half brain dead. I mean, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you, you just, it's, it's very mental. I mean, it really is very, very much so. And especially being able to keep your focus for, for that long period of time. So in the last couple of years, I started listening to audio books and, and some music to keep you distracted. But mostly it's just getting out there and staying focused and in the moment. Um, I like to say that when I'm writing these long races, I'm not really writing the next great American novel. You know, it's not a lot of deep thinking. Typically, I'm really worried about the next footfall and making sure I don't trip and fall. You know, as much as anything else, I'm really in the moment. But as far as training is concerned, you know, it's really just, uh, it's like when you run your first 5K and you decide, you know, maybe I'd like to run a, a half marathon. You up your mileage and you, uh, you know, you, ch you change the way you train a little bit. When you do an ultra, you need to uh, uh, not only put time on your feet, but you, you need to uh, uh, pay attention to hydration and nutrition, uh, replacing salt and minerals that you lose through sweat because you're going to be out there for a very long time. So you're going to be eating. It's not like you're running a half marathon with a water stop. So your training has to incorporate all those things. And then depending on the kind of race that it is, whether it's a, a hilly race or a mountainous race or on trails or pavement, you try to adjust your training accordingly. Uh, for me, it's tough because I live in Fort Lauderdale where it's totally flat. So if the race is going to be hilly, I have to figure out ways to simulate hill running because there ain't no hills down here. And there are very few trails too. So you run back and forth across a bridge or you run, you run stairs. Um, I pull a tire as a technique to simulate hill running. Basically, uh, 
take a tire and attach a rope to it and had 10 feet, uh, 10 foot rope or so and uh, tie it around your waist. And um, you, by pulling that tire, you create drag, which again, simulates uphill running. So, you know, you find these ways to do things. And um, yeah, it's just, the training is just different and it's, it's a little longer, more miles than you would need to do if you're running a shorter distance. So which one out of all the races um, are your favorite races, um, including, I mean, do you prefer races that are in the heat because you're used to running in flat heat or do you actually like the mountainous trails as well? Well, I, I love the, I love the variety of going to places I haven't been before. And I really do like mountain races, but if they're extreme, um, then I'm, I'm just not going to be able to, uh, I'm not going to be able to do well, very possibly not be able to finish because I just can't train for them here. So a race like Hard Rock or Leadville, I'll probably never do. But I did run a stage race once in the area where Leadville is held because there you only have to do a certain number of miles a day over a period of days. I have plenty of time to finish. And I love those races because, you know, it's a great way to get out and uh, out in nature and get off the road. My favorite race is probably Badwater. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to going out there again next year and becoming the oldest finisher. If, you know, if, again, if in fact the race is held, that's the question mark. That's funny. That's funny. Your favorite race is the hardest race. <laughs> so you were talking earlier about, you know, you saw that you didn't have a lot of uh, or any ultra races in Florida. So you started your own. Can you elaborate a little bit on what went into planning it, how you set it up and uh, et cetera? Yeah, but basically I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, <laughs> um, as it turned out, this was in uh, 2008, actually 2007, Four friends and I went down to the Keys and ran from Key Largo to Key West, which is 100 miles, just to see if we thought it might be viable for a race. And we thought, yeah, this is nuts, but yeah, this is, this could be pretty cool. So, I mean, the, you run the, you run the Keys and you're basically running across 42 islands with the Atlantic Ocean on the left and and uh, the Gulf of Mexico on the right. And you know because you've you've run that relay race. So we thought, yeah, this could be really be, be cool. So 2008, we decided to do this race. Um, As it turned out, in February of that year, uh, that was part of the, as the Great Recession was starting. My company, the company I was working for, went away. So I, my job went away. And as it turned out, I had full-time work on this race. And if I hadn't had full-time, the race wouldn't have happened. Um, it was a complete learning curve. But um, we pulled it off. People had a great time. I think we had 131 runners that year. And gradually, I began to figure out what the heck to do. And... Um, made some improvements over the year and changed some things. And for the last six, seven years, we basically had a thousand people down there every year. And uh, yeah, it was just really a learning curve and trying to say, okay, if I, if I am running this race, how do I want this thing to go? What kind of race support do I want? What kind of party do I want to have at the finish line? You know, all that kind of stuff. It all goes into it. Uh, especially in an ultra, it's more than just running. It's the social aspect of it as well. So yeah, just uh, figured it out, got some help from friends and, and made it work. Yeah, and then you do have a pretty um, awesome finish line party. I remember that. I remember I was pregnant when I ran it. I told you earlier, and so yeah. I was at the finish line. I was just ready to go to bed. But had I not been pregnant, it would have been a little bit more fun. So then you were successful with the skis marathon, and then you mentioned another one in the Everglades. Can you tell us a little bit more about that race? 
Sure. So in addition to Keys 100, uh, Everglades Ultras is a race in um, right through the Everglades on trails. It's uh, an absolutely spectacular and unique venue, to say the least. I mean, you're literally running typically by some alligators as you're running through the through the woods. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty safe, actually. But yeah, that's we have a uh, in most years, again, we're, with COVID, who knows, but we have a 50 miler. 50 kilometer, 31 miles, and a 25 kilometer, which is 15 and a half miles. So a, a half marathoner can do that, do these races. And um, you end up running on raised trails called trams above the swampy areas. Um, you run out in the in the prairie, which is, uh, the prairies are amazing. You, you, you come out of these very wooded, heavily jungly trails, and you open up into a prairie, and it's like, Wow, big like big sky country almost. It's pretty spectacular. So, yeah, it's a fun race, and we don't do anything longer than fifty miles because we don't want people out there after dark. Um, it is the area is part of the Florida panther habitat. Uh, there's bear out there, and you do see animals. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a really unique experience, um, and it's uh, it's in a venue about an hour and a half from Fort Lauderdale in Miami, so not too hard to get to. And is that one a self-supported race, or do you actually have eight stations um, in the middle Very of Very good question. No, that actually is a totally supported race. Eight, we have eight stations all throughout. Uh, it's a logistical nightmare to get it all done. But, yeah, but yeah no, you're, uh, you, you can't really have any support crew out there. It's, you can't drive it. Um, so, no, it's, um, it, it's fairly remote, but we have rangers, park rangers on UTVs on all the active trails, uh, monitoring everything. We've never had any issues out there. and uh, You can't get lost. Uh, we go out every year and re-clear all these trails and mow out in the prairie. And uh, so, you know, you're not going to sign it heavily. Uh, so, yeah, no, you're not going to get lost, but it is definitely a supported race. Where in the Keys, you can either run with a crew, be self-supported, or as a team, you're, you're self-supported. Or you can uh, utilize aid stations that we have in the Keys and run without a crew. So you have your options there. Yeah. So that Everglades um, race sounds a little bit like that uh, that big five marathon that they have, you know, where uh, in Africa they have a, a marathon that goes through the big five, you know, the big animals. <clears throat> and they have uh, park rangers clearing and monitoring everything just in case some elephant <laughs> tries to cross the road or something. It sounds like a mini version, yeah, something like that. Well, you won't see any elephants, but we've had, <laughs> I think, two bear sightings and five or six panther sightings over the years. And, you know, these animals don't want to have anything to do with us. So they, uh, you happen to see one, you're very lucky, and then they'll head in the other direction. But, but yeah, no, there's some, it's pretty cool. We see some interesting things out there. And probably some quick finishing times by people that <laughs> do <laughs> yeah, those sightings. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I used to do some other races too, but those are the only two I'm doing right now. Okay, so you, those are the only two um, that you're race directing. As as a race director, that's right. Yeah. So as a race director, um, what are your favorite parts about that job? What do you like most about about it? I'm sure you don't like the emails that you get when people constantly have questions and you have to direct them to the frequently asked questions. <laughs> well, I love the I love the interaction with the people. As I said before, the greatest thing about the sport is is the people who are in it and the camaraderie and the, uh, you know, I, I literally had my, my first hundred mile race was in February of 2007, a race called Rocky Raccoon. It's down in, in Texas outside of Huntsville. And in February, it's nice and warm during the day and it's very cold at night. And I was not ready for that at all. 
And um, it's a race where you do four 25-mile loops. And on the third loop, middle of the night, I was just freezing. And I went into the – I finished the third loop. It was in kind of an aid station area. And this guy saw me freezing, and he said, here, I've got an extra shirt. He literally took a layer off his back, handed me this shirt, and I wore that shirt the rest of the race, did the trick. I still have that shirt 13 years later. Whenever I go to a race where I need a long sleeve shirt, that's the first one I put on. So it is a sport where people literally will take the shirt off their back to help you out because, you know, the next time they can be the one in need of some help, whether it's water or whatever it might be. So that, those are the things about the race I love, whether I'm running or whether it's race directing. And, you know, bringing new people into the sport is extremely gratifying. Uh, in your case, for example, you know, you ran on a relay team in the Keys. And I'll take a wild guess that you had not done an ultra marathon up to that point, right? Nope, never. <laughs> but, you were, but you were exposed to all these people doing ultras. And what I hear back from people on relay teams every year is how inspired they were by the individual ultra running, you know, ultras, ultra marathoners. And, and I think that's great. So um, all of those things are a big part of why I continue to do this. It's just, you know, it's fun stuff. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great answer, Bob. Um, and, and, you know, this is actually exactly what happened. I was super inspired. I started dreaming about doing ultras. However, I went on to have another kid, so I had two kids. But now, you know, for the past year, I've just been going back and forth, and especially with COVID. I know that a lot of ultra races are happening, whereas marathons can't just because of um, the volume of people. So is, um, we were actually talking about doing your 50-milers, but um, then they didn't take place. Do you think your race will take place next year? Um, I, don't, I don't know for sure. We're still negotiating with in- with both races to see how we can do them safely and if we can get the permitting to do it. If, um, if I don't think we can do it safely, I won't, I won't do it even if we can get permits. But um, at this point, even though it's getting kind of close, like the Everglades race is in March, so, you know, we're getting close. But um, still, still don't have that all figured out with the park yet. And uh, we just had a breakthrough yesterday with the Keys, so there may be a race. But it may be modified a little bit. You know, it may be only self-supported, for example. I don't know yet, but, but we're working through the details and, and hopefully we'll have some, some version of it uh, that we can do safely and so I can get out there and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Now, ultras aren't, ultras aren't everybody's cup of tea. They really aren't. But, uh, and also, you don't have to run 100 miles. Anything over a marathon is an ultra, right? So a 50K is... Um, if you've done a, a marathon, doing a 50K is certainly a doable thing. And hey, bragging rights forever, right? When you <laughs> go. Yeah, that's right. The Keys has a 50 miler, and that's the one I had been looking at, except for I was kind of uh, seeing the starting time. Was it noon? <laughs> noon in the Keys, you know, that, that's a whole different conversation in your own head. Lady, we, yeah, well, we also have the 50K in the Keys, too, right? So you have a 50, 100 mile or 50 mile and a 50K. So something to, something to think about, even though. Yeah, but the starts, starting times are later because we have to get a race started, get everything set up, get it started, take everything down, move down the highway 50 miles, set up again for the next race and so on. So there's really no way to have each of the three of them started, you know, six o'clock in the morning. So. Right. Yeah, no. The heat's the challenge, right? The distance and the heat, that's, that's part of the challenge. The poor men's hill training, right? You got it. 
<laughs> All right. So Bob, um, one last question um, for somebody who is looking to run their first ultra. Is there anyone particularly in the United States, just in general, that you recommend for a good first, say, 50 miler? Wow. Good question. Well, I, I, first, I would consider where you live and where you train so that if like me, you're here in the flat Florida with not a lot of trails you probably want to do a road race. And so you want to find one that is relatively flat. Um, and uh, so, you know, you can adequately train for it. Same thing if you live out in Colorado or, you know, you're in the mountains somewhere, make it a trail race because you can train for it that way. So it's hard to say what specific race you want to, you know, you might want to do. My first hundred, Rocky Raccoon, was a great first hundred mile race because it's not overly technical or overly hilly. So that was the one that I'd, I would recommend that race to anybody. I ran a race a month ago out in Utah called the Pony Express 100. And it was a very rocky, very dusty dirt road with uh, local truck, truckers flying by, pulling off-road vehicles behind them and not slowing down for it. So the dust was awful. I would not recommend that race as a first race. <laughs> so you need to pick your... Pick your race, find out something about its idiosyncrasies and, and try to match it off the, to, to your training. That's really what I recommend. That's good advice. Thank you, Bob, so much. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, what's your online presence? Uh, well, um, I'm not online all the time, but Facebook is really the place to find me. Or just send me an email, bob at ultrasportsllc.com. Bob at ultrasportsllc. Always happy to respond and communicate with people. And uh, otherwise, yeah, Facebook's the place to do it. Thank you so much, Bob. Betty, thank you very much. Thanks again, Bob, for coming on and for your time. Really enjoyed that conversation with you. I love it when people follow their passion and bring it back into their home state or their home area and let others experience it as well. Yeah, and, and he reached his ultimate goal of kind of, you know, making his passion his work too, which is killing two birds with one stone. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. I can see you concentrating. <laughs> It's hard for me to say that right because I'm from a different country and we don't have the same sayings. So I used to say this one wrong, but now I guess I mastered it. <laughs> so now I'm going to make a phone call to our physiotherapist, Brody Sharp. Every week we have our listeners submit a question to us about a running-related injury and our physiotherapist in Australia, Brody Sharp, answers whatever that question is. So I'm going to make that phone call right now. Hi, Brody. How are you doing today? I'm good, lady. How are you today? I'm doing dandy. I have a question for you from Henry H. And he says, hey, Brody, thanks for answering my question. I want to know about the benefits of trail running when it comes to my gait. Is it safer to run on trails even though they are more technical? Is that true? Hi, Henry. Thanks for your question. It's a good one. Uh, I do. I'm a massive advocate for trail running. I do think that it offers a lot of variety. A lot of times when people do have overuse injuries, it's from repetitively doing the same thing, the same action, the same range of movement over and over and over again. Whereas trails, you're kind of changing direction, you're changing inclines, you're going uphill, downhill, change direction. And that can really help with 
um, I guess, moving the, the demands of the body around to shifting to different areas of the body. And so overuse injuries are um, not only is it reducing the likelihood of overuse injuries, but you're also becoming more resilient, throwing different things at the body. So I do think it is um, recommended. I am a big advocate. You do need to be careful with doing hills, going uphill, downhill too quickly if you're not used to tolerating those high um those high loads, those high elevations, because there's a lot of demand through the body when you go uphill. And there's a lot of demand with the body when you go downhill. So you want to make sure that you're strong enough to do that. And if you are starting some trail runs, make sure it's really slow and gradual as we go through those steps. But again, there are some dangers with trail running. Sometimes there's trauma-based injuries. So like rolled ankles or hitting your head on a tree or falling over, tripping, those sort of things can be quite dangerous. So as long as you're sensible and as long as uh, you're putting, you're sort of attacking it with a safe approach, then yeah, I highly recommend it. Would you recommend a mix of trail and road running? Oh, hundred percent. Sometimes the, the trail running can be substituted for if you do have an overuse injury that is repetitive, um, say something like an ITB friction syndrome, then you can start implementing more trails, but still stay a little bit on the roads. And depending what you're preparing for, if you're preparing for a road marathon, then we want to take away some of that trail stuff towards the peak part of your training and do more and more road running because that's what we need to get the body to adapt to. So you can just fluctuate between those two methods and especially what you enjoy. What depends what you enjoy doing. We want to favor that one. But like I said, trails are a good way to become resilient and like an all-round um, runner. Perfect. Thank you, Brody. And if uh, Henry wants to get in touch with you, how can he reach you? Okay, Henry, if you haven't jumped onto my podcast yet, then you can search the Run Smarter podcast and uh, have a flick through some of the episodes. I do have some episodes on the benefits of trail running. If you haven't listened to that one yet, um, it's probably around episode 30 odd. Um, yeah, so have a look. You can have a listen. Perfect. Thank you, Brody. You're welcome. Thanks, Brody, for your wisdom and your accent. And um, with that said, I hope everybody enjoyed the show and we hope that you have a good week of running. Until next week. Thanks for listening. For training tips, previous podcast episodes, and fun merchandise for runners, please check out our website at wgtr.us. That's wgtr.us. And as always, have a wonderful week of running.